passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. We are live Monday night. Happy Victoria Day, Mr. Ting. Oh, happy Victoria Day! Yeah, you know it's um, it's a, it's a nice holiday because I don't ever think about it until it actually happens. It's an occasion for many people to seemingly drink and uh, explode a lot of fireworks in the neighborhood. So you know what? This year it's especially nice. Yeah, I've got fireworks going on outside that I can hear now. I didn't even realize it was uh, the holiday Monday until around four thirty p.m. today, and then I realized, oh. Today's technically a holiday. That's what I mean. It's not like it's not like Christmas. Obviously, it's not even like Halloween or like even Canada Day. You know the like or Valentine's. Like you get tons of promotion for all of these other holidays, and this one is just like, uh, this Saturday or this Sunday. It's like you know you get a day off. Well, most people get a day off. Not us. Not us. We are here to talk about Raw. We're going to talk about the Ultimate Warrior DVD. And we are going to, not not the, well, we can get into the Ultimate Warrior DVD, but we will talk about the A&E biography on the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, but we have a lot of uh, cool stuff coming up this week that I want to mention. First of all, off the top, I would be remiss if I did not mention that I got my weekly Monday email. And I want to thank the people out there that left some nice positive reviews this week that made its way to my inbox today. I never get these. How come you always get I don't know why you do, because I think you signed up for this thing, but it's my email that gets these every week with our performance uh, review and all the latest feedback uh, that people post. You want to read some for us? I can pull it up if I've saved the email here. Sure. Why not? Let's read the good ones and the bad, whatever, whatever you... I didn't get any bad ones here. I'm not going to read them all here. Okay. The uh, John and Way... Don't worry about those idiots. Keep up the great work. <laughs> Call me out for a nice review from Wade. So thank you, Wade. Wow. And then how about this one? Uh, <laughs> I love listening to these two chat it up. Easily my favorite wrestling podcast. I don't even agree with half the things John Pollock says, which isn't a bad thing. Life needs people who don't agree on things. I do respect both opinions and look forward to their reviews every week. Keep it up, fellas. See? Like, I, I can take that. I can take perfectly nice. Uh, I disagree with half the things you say. Well, especially, but I have to say, reading it in your tone, it almost feels like it's a sarcastic message. It's like, Haha, I love these guys. You know, I don't disagree. I don't agree with whatever these guys have to say. 
they're, they they talk a lot of stupid shit a lot of time. But, you know, I love these guys. Here's five They said stars. nothing about you. I think this guy is a complete uh, tingling. Well, it, okay, well, keep them coming. This is how we guilt people into putting us up the, the iTunes charts, isn't it? Well, thank you, everybody. Nice, nice Victoria Day weekly email I got of uh, our reviews. But this week, Way, the train keeps on moving at Post Wrestling. And we've got a unique week because uh, Dynamite is not going to be airing on Wednesday. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, Tuesday, uh, this just popped up. Uh, we are going to be joined by Colt Cabana uh, Tuesday, Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning, somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, we'll be chatting about Colt Cabana and his new podcast, the man that uh, pretty much at the forefront of wrestling podcasts, uh, one Colt Cabana uh, we will be chatting with on Tuesday. Colt back in the podcasting game. Yes. What's what's the story with this new podcast? It's well, well, you know what? We'll have him explain. It's it's an interesting concept that I I'm curious to see how he got to this format. But I, I think he's someone too that has looked for different ways, different formats for his podcast after getting away from just the the wrestler interview, which were very very popular. And uh, we'll, we'll chat with him. Very much so. Uh, so that's coming up on Tuesday. Uh, up next will be. As usual on Tuesday night, which a note to Canadians, it's that because of the Stanley Cup playoffs, NXT is going to be airing on uh, Sportsnet Now, which is their online video player instead of Sportsnet 360. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of those changes during the the playoffs because of Sportsnet's uh, NHL coverage. So that will be the case for Tuesday night. Wednesday. Look Look at this. Hockey seems to be the biggest enemy of professional wrestling. What's going on? That's right. They were. I totally forgot the Leafs game was going on tonight, so that was probably front and center for most people. Well, I was more talking about the TNT stuff, but um, you know who would have thought? They're, they're the, the NHL. Wars. I mean, may, maybe they are the uh, the silent the silent assassins out there for for wrestling fans. Uh, Wednesday, shot in the dark with John Cena. I guess the man's got Wednesday to himself. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do with my Wednesday night way. You know, I don't know. I think for this week, he should really think about extending it to. 20 minutes instead of 15. Can he go the time limit draw? Uh, Well, that that will be Wednesday. Thursday, Way and I are... What's Thursday? No, Thursday is Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure, and they are going to be reviewing the critically acclaimed Barry Blaustein documentary, Beyond the Mat. You know, I was... um, I, I had a brief preview, not of the podcast, but of the custom album art that Martin Bushby has commissioned for this podcast. And uh, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's great. Um, I've been told I that couldn't work Hunt- it. I couldn't work it into the graphic uh, just b- with the dimensions and my novice skill set. But yeah. it's a great graphic and we should just save it for when we release the show on Thursday. It's it's pretty solid. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, way back years and years and years ago, way you and I reviewed Beyond the Mat and I was able to track down Barry Blaustein. And do an interview with him. And I remember really enjoying this interview. And I remember saying, that was really cool to review a documentary and then interview the director. And here we are, all these years later. And Friday, the post-movie reviews continue as we will be reviewing The Dissident. And Wei and I will be chatting with Academy Award-winning director, Brian Fogel, the man that directed Icarus, that we've also reviewed, and the dissident will join us this Friday on the review. I don't know how you got this done, John. You know, how did you convince an Academy Award winning director 
to appear on a pro wrestling podcast. It's quite the story. I, I, okay. I'll give, I'll give the story on Friday. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear it. that. That is a huge get. So, uh, post wrestling cafe this week. It required a text to weigh over the weekend. That's how I, I was like pretty, uh, impressed that I, I pulled this one off. I had to give him a big way. Look at this. Well, let's, let's be honest. I was a tough one to track down. You had to book a time with me. I was like, yeah, you know what? Academy award. Okay. It's like, Hey, Fogel, we can't do this time. You got to, uh, just go on standby. Yeah, you have to work around me. I want to, I want a Terra award, John. <laughs> As did I, you and I combined Best documentary. <laughs> do you have your trophy? I had my trophy for the longest time, and I think now I've lost it. It's at my parents' house. Yeah, I still have it. Best, what was it? Something feature. Short form feature, best. Short form feature, yeah. Yes. <laughs> For our documentary about the UWA and Christopher Bishop. So, Featuring B-roll of Kevin Owens. Yes. <laughs> Kevin Steen. So, so three award-winning directors, documentary directors right. on, on this that's podcast. Right. Oh, that's up. amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you as such when we do the interview. <laughs> uh, so that's Friday. For CAFE members, it will be a busy day on Friday. Um, because Friday night we are going to be doing the first and I hope last rewind a Dyna down, which I'm just going with now. <laughs> rewind a Dyna down. sounds like a, some sort of weight gainer, you know, that you get at GNC. Oh, I got on Dyna down and before I knew it, I was in the hospital. Um, so we are going to, uh, review SmackDown and dynamite by going live at midnight Eastern on friday night so i'm gonna state in advance i'm not gonna promise a news update on friday i might have to uh shorten th things up because friday has turned into as i was looking this is gonna be a very ambitious day on my on my behalf but we'll get through it yeah uh as well i mean we're gonna try to at least you know take your calls and we'll see you know at the moment we'll, we'll probably still have time to w at least watch dark side of the ring but you know, will we be able to cram it into the show i have to figure it out we might have to write some stuff up. I mean, there's no shortage of stuff to talk about. There's double or nothing that weekend. I always like to get the calls. There will be news. Um, I don't know how many people are going to tune in at midnight on a Friday night. We are going to see. This will certainly be an experiment on Friday night. We'll see how it goes. But that's going to be Friday night. And then Sunday, we're back with our double or nothing post show live right after the pay-per-view for our double-double ice cap and espresso patrons. So... Busy week, a lot of interesting stuff, a wide variety here at the some, post office. You know, just to promote it a little bit more, some would even call it a double-double or nothing. Mm. So you're a double-double plus patron, live access every Monday, every Wednesday, and of course all of our pay-per-view post shows, live access for all of you. All right, let's move on to some news items uh, tonight, and we should start off the top with uh, Patrick Clark, uh, Velveteen Dream, who issued a very lengthy statement on his Instagram story. This was uh, early Monday. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's it's very, very lengthy. But the key points, uh, number one, is he, he denies the allegations that were made uh, about him last year. He stated that, you know, his... His goal was to provide th – this was his explanation for not addressing the allegations sooner. He said that his goal was to provide you with the same escape that I was offered when I first started watching, that being wrestling. My job was to play a character and to help advance storylines and drama for the fans who cared to tune in. I take any job I have seriously, which is why I've remained silent about these allegations. To me, addressing rumors 
would be working against an already compromised ability to sell a character I've invested in so heavily. I'm going to stop there. Number one, that's just, to me, um, I do not understand that rationale at any point. There is a point where the wrestling ends. This is your real life. This is your reputation. Um, instead of, you know, uh, harming a fictional character on screen, uh, this is stuff that is attacking your real life character. Um, so I, I cannot really understand. Like, I get there is a mentality in pro wrestling. This, like, to me, if, if that was your full reason for not addressing this, when you believe that you have not committed any infraction, that these allegations are not true. Um, I, I just cannot imagine that you're not g screaming at the top of your lungs, uh, your defense. Yes, I agree with you. Um, I think there are moments, especially in 2021, where I feel like the audience would be able to fully accept like, somebody breaking kayfabe. And this, when you're facing allegations and you're facing, oof, you know, at least what was presented online to the public as evidence. Um, I feel like that would be the time to break kayfabe. Um, you know, it would be another thing, I think, if the company were to tell him to not address it. But, I mean, we've seen Matt Riddle directly confront his accusations. Um, so I, I don't know if it would be like that. And, I mean, he didn't say so. So He did, he did not indicate that. He made it clear that it was his choice not to address this. And... When the first allegation was made, he did put out that very brief tweet denying it and stating that a third party was looking into it. Now, he does address the allegations. Uh, the first person that had made the allegations uh, was an individual by the name of Jacob that he said he corresponded with through a direct message on Instagram, who said was a 17-year-old aspiring wrestler. And this person asked Patrick Clark for verification that it was really him and ended up sending him a voice message and then asking him about his height, weight, where he trained, the school he attended. And then the next day he said he saw screenshots of a conversation he did not have. And once seeing this contacted WWE and noted that a personal photos photo of his was shared and without his knowledge or consent. And this was when he did make where he did address it and put out that, that tweet. Um, back in April of last year. The other allegation uh, was of being uh, of grooming, which was made by Josh Fuller, uh, who allegedly was 16 when they met and was another aspiring wrestler and said Patrick Clark did acknowledge that he knew of him from Maryland. Uh, he wasn't someone new. He had just met like this person, Jacob, and indicated that this, this guy, Josh Fuller, was trying to become a wrestler ended up suffering a concussion and Clark essentially broke contact with him because he was encouraging him to not to take a break from wrestling, to heal from his concussion and cut communication off and believes that, you know, that is uh, the source of Fuller's uh, anger with him. So he adds at the end here, Josh and Jacob are two of many people that have helped yet. These are the only two who have found me to be malicious and predatory in how I go about helping others. What wasn't shared at the time, Josh Fuller reached out to Jacob over social media before Josh put out his own accusation. When this came out, Josh Fuller temporarily deleted his Twitter account, 
which is important because in all the social media confusion, Josh Fuller is the only one who suggested that an investigation had not been done and that had not been contacted. This in relation to when Paul Levesque had stated they had looked into things and investigated these allegations, and then Josh Fuller had stated he was never contacted. Uh, Patrick Clark goes on to say that Jacob deleted his social media after he was outed for being a member of an anti-black group chat. Um, He then goes on to say, all in all, this entire experience defamed my character and ultimately accomplished what it sought out to do, and that was to see me released. So Patrick Clark is definitely of the belief this is all what led to his release. My hope is that over time, people can put two and two together and realize that all the allegations surrounding me were baseless and untrue from the jump. I felt strongly about not needing to defend myself on social media for a while now, but I understand the audience I work for and those who know me deserve clarity. I'm thankful for the opportunities afforded to me and the memories I have as a receipt. So uh, that that's a portion of a very lengthy statement. Those are kind of the key notes, uh, takeaways that I took from this. I definitely have a lot of questions about this, and this becomes sort of your area where it's going to be different stories, and you're kind of left to kind of decipher, like, and it, it becomes very difficult to do. I'll say, though, that we know that, you know, through Paul Levesque's own words, that they said they looked into things, and they found nothing there. If all of this is what Patrick Clark had presented to WWE, um... Why was he released? Why this long gap from last summer to now? Why is the release occurring now? These are all questions you have that I I think are only going to be brought up. Like if he, like there was certainly, like if, if the company did not stand by him, he would have been gone last year and not, not now. So I, I, I don't know what you really take from this statement and where it's a larger issue about all of these stories is how are they to be adjudicated? It's essentially these companies are left to be kind of the arbitrator and the audience is kind of what they're going by. Like, who are we comfortable using or not using? Uh, these are not typically, we're not seeing like law enforcement get involved. So it just becomes like, essentially like these stories are just getting played out online and you're left to, make to draw your own conclusions when there's a lot of missing pieces that like, I don't think the public is equipped to, you know, adjudicate these cases because there's too many questions. Yeah. Um, you know, again, like every case might be, is different. And this one certainly has become a little bit trickier. I will say, you know, in regards to, uh, Velveteen dreams statement, I feel like he, he said a lot, but I feel like there's still many unanswered questions um, that feel unsatisfied by what he said. Um, there were three accusers and not just two. There's this, uh, somebody by the name of uh, Matt who also posted um, conversations with Velveteen Dream that didn't seem to be addressed unless he went by a different name. But, um, you know, of course, like these things can be doctored. And that seems to be what he's suggesting. There was an audio clip that. Um, I guess Velveteen alleges was cut up that, you know, I guess wasn't necessarily mentioned here in this um, uh, explanation, but there, there are still some things that feel somewhat unsettled. If you, in my opinion, have been following the entire thing. Um, But as far as like WWE's action goes, I feel they were probably a lot more willing to 
try everything they could to make sure that this guy mm, was that that they had to act based on whether or not there was any real concrete evidence. And I believe that they didn't really, really find any sort of like, you know, um, concrete evidence that, you know, um, would have made him, uh, I guess, you know, guilty or, um, you know, um, just, just guilty of committing something illegal. Otherwise I think he would just be gone. But at the same time, I feel this company would not have went through so much effort to retain him if they didn't think of the investment that they already had put into him throughout these years, if they didn't think about the potential that he had uh, as a, as an employee, if he was just a guy on 205 Live and he went through something like this, even if there were no um, conc- there was no concrete evidence, I don't think they would have given him this much rope. Um, but you know, it's at the point now where I it, it's been a year. Uh, they tried the brief comeback, and the audience wasn't taking it, and. You also have a lot of rumors of other issues that might be attached to Patrick Clark beyond this that, you know, might be behavioral, might be, you know, some some sort of, uh, I don't know, social etiquette thing that um, might have rubbed uh, coworkers the wrong way um, that I, I suppose would also give them some basis to let somebody go. And again, how much reason do they really need to when somebody's, you know, when it's time for that, that, uh, time to just trim trim the roster um other than hey there's also the question way of if like if if this is the like patrick clark's defense i mean paul levesque like he shared none of this and i think that only fanned the flames because it was a very inadequate response from paul levesque who pretty much limited it to we looked into it there was nothing there like that's essentially was his response. You did not have explanations for any of this. You did not have any anything to go on. And I think that only uh, upset people further when it was, you know, that that doesn't pass the smell test. Yeah. When something like this comes out, I think simply trying to sleep it under the rug only makes things worse. You know, it, when something like this comes out, if they truly believe that the man is innocent, I feel full transparency or as much as you can offer to the public to, you know, rid this person of this story uh, would be very helpful. And for whatever reason, they chose to essentially sweep it under the rug by not really mentioning it or going into detail and not, unless prompted and even when prompted, not getting into that much detail. And I think that probably affected a whole lot of the audience's um, opinion of seeing him back on TV. It's an interesting question of like, you know, how do you gauge it, John? Like, do you think we can, because er- earlier this week, I would have said, I don't think any indies will pick him up. I don't think any, you know, wrestling promotion will pick him up. Do you see that being any different today? I mean, I always look at, there will be some companies out there that are going to book someone off of WWE television. I think they just, they just will. There will be those companies. If we're talking about prominent national companies, I'm, I'm not too optimistic that anyone is going to be jumping to use Patrick Clark. Um, you know, he he put this out, but to your point, I still think that there's going to be those questions. And if you're if you're a major company and you're weighing the benefits and the negatives, I mean, like what kind of reaction is a Patrick Clark going to receive in front of a live wrestling audience? Depends on that audience, you know. Um yeah. And, and I, I don't even you know, is it worth the risk, I suppose, if you're a promoter at at, at some point? Um you know, to 
we'll find out we'll find out but um yeah i I'm, I'm actually quite curious to see what some of the feedback might be from from the audience uh we'll move on uh, we have two identities of when new japan announced the the nine members of the roster that had tested positive no names were disclosed uh but both kazuchika okada and taichi have revealed they were among those nine uh, okada had been pulled from the second night of wrestling Dontaku back on May 4th after wrestling a, a six-man tag the night prior with Rapongi 3K against Minoru Suzuki, El Desperado, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, uh, said to be doing better now. Um, and Taichi, he worked both nights of Dontaku, and then it was afterwards he felt sick and contracted a fever and did a PCR test confirming he had the virus. Um, neither Okada and, tai and Taichi have wrestled uh, since those uh, Fukuoka shows, nor are they scheduled this week at the Korakuen Hall events. But that is you know, two of the nine that are coming forward. Um, they ran Korakuen Hall today and did something like 280 people at Korakuen Hall. And they're running uh, Tuesday and Wednesday at the same venue. So th these are as low as I can remember uh, numbers at, at Core Q and Hall for them. It's not a great period for New Japan right now. Um, maybe, you know, one of the worst in years. Um, and I think, you know, beyond just maybe finding out who... It, it, at this point, like, it doesn't even... Do we even really care, like, who, who suffered from uh, COVID? But... It you know what what seems to be called into question is more so just uh, what's the financial state of the company right now? Can they afford to you know miss any more shows? And really, what is the status of several of the ra wrestlers? There are a lot of rumors out there right now of just a lot of unhappiness between you know uh, predominantly from the foreign talent, but not just them. I'm sure about uh, New Japan's handling of the entire COVID nineteen situation, and you know not canceling the show and then uh, telling the talent that they can go to uh go back home and then to, uh, last minute making these shows and telling the talent to stay um so again in the days and weeks to come i, I imagine we'll hear a whole lot more about this developing story I, I think like there's definitely you know some that you have to acknowledge new japan like everybody is at the mercy of this virus and you know the schedule is going to get impacted the other side of it is should we be running shows right now like if like this is an outbreak in New Japan, and there's there's that question that should we should we be doing shows this week in, in Tokyo? Like those are the questions you're asking. Uh, Dominion is still on the schedule for Osaka. We don't have a card yet. We don't have a match yet for Dominion, and that's always a big show. Yeah, it's hard for me to comment on like what sort of um, I don't know uh, government practices are in place in Japan, but like the fact that the government is allowing shows to occur that. Maybe raises some concern, but again, I don't really know how this stuff is policed. I mean, you know, um, this is something that maybe, you know, it, it will be occurring for a completely different reason. But the Hanakamura tribute show occurred over the That's weekend. That's right. And, uh, you know, obviously under like, I, this is a great show. Like, uh, you know, un under very different like, um, uh, uh, yeah, reasons. But nonetheless, like it seems like this is free to occur despite maybe what we might hear about the quote unquote outbreak right now. Uh, you got a chance to see the show. I, I watched it on, on Saturday night. I thought it was like a really nice tribute to Hana Kimura. I thought the commentary uh, of Ian Riccoboni and cheeseburger was really strong. And the fact that those two 
did the commentary from Ian Riccoboni's house in Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, with a pair of microphones and a mixer and sounded crystal clear, like very small investment. And it sounded great. Their voices sounded great. Yeah, unfortunately, there seemed to be some, you know, echo issues with like some of the 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 actual mixing. But from what I can tell, like this is this was not a high budget production, and I don't know if like English commentary was like something that you know was like it. It seemed like it was something that was um, wasn't expected certainly for a show of this level. Yet, uh, fight. And, you know, Ian Riccoboni and, and Cheeseburger, and I'm sure all the people in ROH involved with it were able to get, get it going. And I thought made it far more accessible for somebody. Were like you, you were you that. getting constant echo throughout the show or was it limited? Only from the live sound. So there I, did, I was watching it live. Like I did not experience it. Like I didn't listen to every every last second of the broadcast. But I, I was not getting like these echo issues. But I, 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 I was hearing it from from most people who were who were listening. Um, I, I definitely saw other people talking about it. So yeah, it definitely yeah. happened. You, you can only hear it like if you're focusing on the background noise. So like for instance, if they're talking or if you're you know watching some of the tribute videos, it was sort of like a doubling effect. Right. But mm-hmm. again, it's like I, I imagine an incredibly shoestring level type of production that went into this. And I think the fact that we even had English commentary at all was probably, you know. Um, like um a real privilege uh unfortunately fumi saito couldn't make the broadcast because i'm sure no. he would have added a whole lot yeah i think that would have been he, he would have uh, of course been a great asset to have but i would just think doing a broadcast where the third voice is like you're just adding another layer of complication to it so i i can see that being tough as opposed to riccoboni and cheeseburger that were literally physically together for the the broadcast yeah, technologically, it, it it definitely poses a challenge. Um, what did you think of the matches? Um, I mean the the, the battle royal was, I, I think, very crowd pleasing. I mean, this was total like spring break uh, kind of format to it with with all the surprises that that they had in it. I mean, Jinzei Shinzaki, dude, Jinzei Shinzaki is now built like the house they gave away at the first in your house. I mean, he is just. I don't know what he's doing, but my God, he looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like, yeah, I guess the same, if not even uh, bigger, like the house they gave away. Um, there are a lot of surprise entrances for this battle role. And, and I, you know, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to warn you, do not watch this battle role for wrestling content. It is a purely comic comedy based battle royal with a lot of fun spots and a lot of surprise appearances. Who else did we have here? Masato Tanaka. Masato Tanaka was there. Jun Kasai, <laughs> Shima, uh, yes. Super Delphin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was, uh, yeah, I mean, they th- those were like, I guess, the, the key surprises. Um, it, w- it was a very lengthy battle royal, yes. It was very lengthy. But there are only three, actually four matches on the show. Three promoted. Yeah. And, and then one, um, like it was, a, yeah, it was sort of a, a six-woman tag or eight-woman tag. Eight woman tag. You had yeah, uh, Kagetsu and Hazuki coming out of retirement, and so mm-hmm. you had b- the members of what Oedo Tai teaming with Konami and Death Yamasan of Tokyo Cyber Squad, and they ended up losing to Natsupoi, who's the uh, high speed champion of Stardom, uh, Suri, Asuka, not the WWE version, and uh, Mio Mio Veni, yes, and Mio uh, Momono, and that uh, eight person then. Uh, after the finish, they just did a singles match with Asuka beating Kagetsu. 
in the it was event. a really really nice bonus you know just a, a big match between like two of the big names one of them not having wrestled for like an entire year in kagetsu and coming out of retirement essentially just for this match uh but it was like the post-match stuff that like got really emotional because you had a tribute video just of um compilation of highlights from hanukamura's career from her young days because like she's been around the wrestling business for so long there's a lot of video footage out there of her uh in particular with her mother so there was that they did the 10 bell salute that which jungle kiona uh was responsible for and then it was just like god it was hard to hold it together because like i'm sure it was just like oh. I, I thought it was pretty chilling when the uh the tribute wrestler came out dressed as her yeah, there was they had, in Japan. I guess there's this really popular cosplay wrestler who did the Hanakamura tribute. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was. Uh, but they also had Corku and Hall like decorated with her her ring outfits and such. Like mm-hmm. they did up the whole building in honor of her. Like it was like a really nice tribute show that you knew was going to be uh, a really emotional show uh, on top of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the final video was just like of a succession of you know, various wrestlers, I suppose, who have known Hana, just sending in their video, video messages saying matane, which means um, see you later in Japanese, which was the title of the show. And it included Kenny, Kenny Omega, included like Yo Shirai, uh, Kairi Sane, of course, who was also present, um, but not on camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a host of others. Um, just a very kind of like, again, not a high budget production, but like, you know, from you have to remember everybody, like, this is Kanakamura's mother that put the show together. And can you imagine like that, that pain of like, you know, at the same time, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was like somewhat cathartic for her, but just the emotion involved in the whole event. It was, uh, yeah, it was very touching. I thought. All right. Um, we'll try and keep this to a reasonable time. Uh, the ultimate warrior, A and E biography. Uh, I could do a whole show. And I think uh, next week I am going to do a whole show on this uh, on this episode. But uh, this was probably the most anticipated one of the whole A&E lineup. It was Ultimate Warrior and how this was going to be handled. And I, I can't give you like a definitive reaction I had after. But I will say for about an hour afterwards, I was still thinking about this documentary. And I was, first of all, it was... I thought that this entire documentary, it was, I I think it was almost impossible for it to achieve what what people would want to see out of a fully um, 360 degree view of Jim Helwig, Ultimate Warrior. And I thought by the end of it, it just seemed like they were trying to touch on a lot of the more controversial elements, but to me, there was a limit of where they were going to go and... I mean, they had some examples. I think they omitted quite a lot that I think would have painted Warrior significantly worse. Um, what comes to mind for me is like, what, for, especially for a captive wrestling audience, what's really going to strike a nerve is what he said about Bobby Heenan when he was battling cancer. Like, I don't think you could show that quote and there's any redeeming factor left in this documentary for him. So th- this was almost like watching this performative exhibit of presenting this quote-unquote documentary going to a certain length with a figure that we still have to preserve in WWE as this figure we honor every year for our philanthropic work. So it became like this interesting experiment of what this was going to be. I thought by the end of this, 
it just felt very jumbled throughout the last half hour of where they were going, what they were touching on, what they were not going to touch on. And I just, I, I don't know what to make of it. I, I thought it was an attempt, but I also found one that really did not, um, I, I didn't feel great about it. I'll say for me, um, I felt like they revealed a whole lot more than I was ex- expecting going into it. Even having seen the previews for this, knowing that they are going to touch on, you know, his dark side. Um, I felt like they, they, they revealed more than I was expecting, you know, like for me, I, I'm just maybe thinking from the perspective of somebody who maybe wasn't aware of this stuff and was, or maybe loosely. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just like knew about the ultimate warrior, um, maybe from the warrior award or maybe just from their childhood. And then they turned the show on and, you know, they presented to you that the man had a very controversial, probably series of like public speeches, but they specifically focused on one that he gave to this college where, you know, in full quotes was like this whole debate that, I mean, I I shuddered to even call it a debate. Wait, um, the portion that they show where, I mean, he's talking about, you know, the, his, his views on homosexuality. I mean, if they let that tape run, during that Q&A portion, like it gets worse where the, the individual that is calling him on this, like Warrior ends it at the end, like with a comment to the effect of like, don't forget your towel. And it and this place then just are it, there's one guy who is just livid at this comment that is and I'm sure many in that room felt the very same thing. Like, it's very ugly at the same time. Like you almost got the sense, especially Dana Warrior, it's like, I think you try your best to sympathize with a widow here that is obviously coming at this from the perspective that she is, in her mind, preserving the legacy of her of her husband. And I think that's the position you knew she was going to be in. I just think that it's that's a very difficult task. Uh, to to pull off. And the idea that, well, he was going through this phase where he was in love with talk radio and this speech at UConn was, they almost painted it or she did as like this, he, he messed up. Well, if you were following what this guy was writing on a pretty regular basis and they did have some of the screenshots of them and believe me, they could have gone into a lot more of it. I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think you can just excuse stuff by, well, he was a complex individual or he was influenced by this. It was just, it was all these things he said. There was never a public apology. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't look at someone who is talking about, you know, taking glee in someone suffering from cancer. It's like there becomes a line where I'm sorry, but the, it's not like he used any of his platforms to ever ask for forgiveness for any of this to ever clarify this. And it's kind of left maybe unfairly that his family's now in this position where they have to explain this stuff. Totally. It's, it's a terrible position to be in. If you're a family member of somebody who has such a public stain, um, you know, I, I, I can't really sit here and be like, you know, defensive of that. And, uh, and I think you're absolutely right, John, to like be um, skeptical about uh, the sincerity of, Maybe, you know, anything that was presented on this. Uh, And a big part of that is because we never had that public apology. And because we never had that resolution, there will always be this hanging question about what the man truly felt. 
um, his family can tell us one thing and, you know, maybe if we are already believing one thing, like for somebody who maybe was exposed to like, to who's read, uh, you know, and seen that entire speech or have, have, has read a lot more of those posts like you have, it's probably going to be extremely difficult, maybe impossible to like sway your opinion. Um, at the same time, like I, I wouldn't hesitate to like completely shut the door that she would be telling the truth. And this is where I'm, I myself is like, you know, I'm thinking like, certainly when we look at these WWE produced shows, they are focusing a lot more on like, for the most part, you know, especially if they have a a vested interest on the happier side, or at least like the more positive side, you know, the fluffier side, you could even say of like, of the ring, the fluffier side of the ring. Um, Whereas the other show, of course, focuses more on the negative. So is one necessarily more truthful than the other? Perhaps. Um, but I don't think it completely negates the other either. There could be truth in both, you know, and maybe one could be more negative than the other. Uh, maybe one can, it can be too positive than, than the other. I, I, I at least, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to be open-minded to to you know consider much of what was presented here and said by somebody like Dana Dana Warrior to be at least her truth. Yeah, I think that that's you know we're in this sea of like big documentaries with important figures like going beyond like you you can include the Vince McMahon one in this but like last year with with the last dance with Michael Jordan there's the upcoming Same one producer Tom- by the way as this That's right. That's right. Um, the Tom Brady one as well. It's like to get these gigantic subjects, their production companies or their like they have an association with them. You don't have Michael Jordan's production company. You're not getting the last dance. And that's the trade off is do you at least move forward? It's it's better than nothing. Like if WWE wasn't on board, you're not getting these. Um, and maybe to wrestling fans, these are not important, but the Vince McMahon one, for instance, there's going to be a ton of interest in that, but it comes with WWE involved in it. So you you have to look at it like as transparently as you can that, listen, there is involvement here. This is not a quote unquote independent look at a subject matter. And for some of these figures, it's like if you want their participation, well, they are going to have some kind of role in all of this. True. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose again, though, just because somebody isn't involved doesn't necessarily make that product the truth either. It it, it raises that exact question uh, that you have to be skeptical when you're watching it, and I think we can look at you know these A and E documentaries. Like you can see, you know, certain elements that have been omitted, and I would say, like even like in this documentary and. I I sent out the tweet, but certainly you can look up a lot of the work that David Bixenspan has uncovered, like a lot of the documents you saw supporting like his release, the 91 SummerSlam stuff like that was stuff that David has reported on and put out there. And like the SummerSlam thing, like it's presented as though Warrior is like giving Vince this ultimatum and holding him up for money. And it's like. Not to say it was probably like the easiest negotiation, but like for the sake of clarity, it's a fax from Warrior that is sent July the 10th. Okay. This is in, we're talking SummerSlam is the end of August. So, you know, a month and a half. And 
he is listing off like what he wants, including like that $550,000 figure is tied in as his payoff that he feels he's owed from WrestleMania seven. And yes, he lists all these demands. Vince McMahon sends him a fax three days later, agreeing to all of this in writing. And then it's the suspension is delivered at SummerSlam and Vince McMahon believing he doesn't have to accept any of the demands because I agreed under duress. It's like that that paints a much more different picture than I think comes out of this where, you know, you make it sound like warriors showing up at the garden and stating this is all I want or else I'm not walking out to the ring tonight. It's like this happened at the beginning of July. Um, and I mean, there's there's lots of different things you can go to. I don't want to be completely negative on this. I thought that this was a pretty interesting look at this individual, the upbringing that he had. I thought his mother was was a great choice to have in this, who I don't know if she has done any interviews prior about, about her son. And that apology video that they uncovered was unbelievable. Yeah. Like Incredible. that, that story is out there, but that video has not been. And again, to just quickly recap that story is a, tel- a, a station manager with one of the affiliates that the WWF had, the manager's child alleged that he went up to the Ultimate Warrior at an airport and was blown off by Warrior, which is a story you can totally buy. But Warrior was adamant, that was not me. I did not do that. Uh, however, Vince McMahon films this apology and you can see like Warrior is about to explode on the screen as he can't even get this out. And I think you look at it that, man, this is a guy that I, you know, you can take him at his word or not, whether it was him or not. But I mean, the fact they had this video to me, everyone will focus on the warrior in this video. I was captivated by Vince McMahon producing him here. It's all a work. It's all a work. And that to me is what in some ways I was amazed they ran this, but it was fascinating video. Well, that that was the other thing too. I thought this the whole thing I felt was a lot more revealing than I was expecting for a WWE led production. You know, the fact that they mm, would showcase Vince McMahon in several of these lights, and you know, you mentioned maybe some of the the um, details of that um, contract dispute at SummerSlam were omitted. I didn't think what they presented made made Vince look good at all. I thought he already looked pretty okay. bad coming out of this. So, it, it was certainly uh, more. Maybe it softened the blow, but like I thought he. It definitely like wasn't the asshole. treatment of like the, the self destruction DVD where they painted it much more anti warrior uh, than this. But I, I still felt they they left out key details, which I mean that's you, I, I don't know. You, I mean I come out of this like feeling the, the same way I've always felt about Vince. You know he's a bit of a ruthless like kind of a uh, uh, boss. While at the same time you know I I. I mm, you can understand his motivations. You can understand why he would like he, I found him actually presented to be quite vengeful, which is not like a nice character trait, but like, even I suppose with Vince was like, Oh yeah, that was me. when I was younger is how they were kind of, uh, he was nuts. And back then I was, I'll (laughs) say this. I've been very down on Vince McMahon's participation in these documentaries. This was his best, his most insight that we got, I thought it was a great question or or more so a great answer too from Vince when it could, he, I'm sure this was almost given as like a softball to him. Did you consider the ultimate warrior like a son? And you know, for an A and E production, we're involved with the warrior. Vince very much could have just given a, a very 
nice answer that I looked at him like that. Vince like paused, thought, and no, I did not look at him like a son. I have one son. Um, you know, it's not to say Vince is like the most engaging figure, at least what you would expect or hope out of a Vince McMahon in these. But this one, I did think we got the most out of him uh, by far of any of the A&E pieces. He doesn't necessarily, I mean, he does come across to be like a bullshitter, but I guess not when it comes to like sappy, sappy stuff like that. Uh, the, the, the whole documentary actually kind of like almost like presented this narrative of like Jim Helwig, you know, missing a father figure in his life, missing a childhood and looking at the WWE and therefore Vince McMahon as sort of his surrogate father. Um, and when he was rejected by Vince, it, it, they kind of like almost like draw the, 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 the thread by saying how him being rejected by Vince led him to this downward spiral, which eventually led him to conservative talk radio and this entire thing but it was not which was a narrative that like i'm not going to dismiss like i I don't i didn't i don't know the ultimate warrior did not know the ultimate warrior but it was like it's like they had crafted this whole explanation of all this but it's like we never heard the warrior state that you know what i mean it's like and we didn't hear dana warrior talk about that either it's kind of like was this because this is a guy that sounds like he was pretty closed off to many people in the wrestling industry who suddenly had this deep psychological explanation of the ultimate warrior and what he, I mean, and it could be true. It could be not. It's just, you know, you have to somewhat take these things for what they are. In the end, this is like a 90 minute thing that they have to like condense a, you know, person's 30, 30 year career into like one, you know, thread that you can, you know, understand it via story. So, uh, yeah, some footage that they just, can you imagine like the, the video catalog like that exists that hasn't even been touched in years that the WWE has, they're running tape on like everything, all these, like they could run a whole like network special of like, you know, uh, bloopers from like the past. I would watch the shit out of that. That would be amazing. Do you you honestly believe that when that self-destruction DVD came out of how scared? Yeah. Like if you're a performer and you don't play ball with them, what they can number one what they can produce and be what they have at their disposal like remember totally. that remember that hardy video where they have those guys on camera talking about drugs yeah like totally. they, it's like frightening god knows yeah. if you're a wrestler that and especially now where you have a camera on you for some project or another nonstop what are they catching because well, that people, red people, light is always on are, I mean, people are kind of doing it to themselves right now. Like they're recording themselves and releasing stuff out there that they probably shouldn't be. So these days it's like, you know, WWE is just probably another element attached to it. But um, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure like that was almost like a warning sign to a lot of people that are out there like Brett, you know, they were going to do that to Brett. I think that's a big reason why he ended up, you know, Brett, you know, I, I I think it'd be a mistake to say warrior uh, like, didn't care. I think he very much cared about. Oh, yeah, his, they said, you know, and, and that was yeah. clearly like that. That was character assassination. What they did with that DVD mm-hmm. with Brett. Multiply that by a thousand because sure. there was no way Brett like that was what Brett had always dreamed of was an anthology on his career. And the fact the company was going down that path, they were going to put out the, you know, screwed the Brett Hart story. And that mm-hmm. is what got Brett to do that DVD. So, you know, like something like that is so big that I don't know if you could have done a documentary about the Ultimate Warrior without mentioning it. But 
Um, I wouldn't have been that surprised if they glossed over that, to be honest. You know, but the fact that they like weren't afraid to at least you know talk about their own. Like it, it did not make WWE look good to do something like that, to put something like that out. It made everybody who appeared on that, like even Mean Gene, you know, participating in that and off camera showing that was that was quite the revealing clip of like this is what Vince yeah. wants, and I mean Gene seemed more than happy to just play ball with whatever it made they Gene wanted. Gene looked terrible. Like here, you have not not have a mind of your own to like you know stick up for yourself. You're just kind of like following people's orders. Like Flair was that thing. It made everybody look terrible. Uh, so how, how about like, wait? How about how few um, wrestlers were in this that worked with the guy? Like you had old clips of Sting. So there was no new interview with Steve Borden. Like you were limited uh, of wrestlers that worked with the guy. Lawler's on there for a cup of coffee talking about when he came to Memphis. You do have some Hogan clips, which I don't know if that was new stuff or not. Like you were heavily relying upon, you know, Shane McMahon, um, a lot of like different media people that like way more than usual. Like typically these A&E ones, it's one or two. This one had Rosenberg, Roberts, uh, Dave Meltzer's in. David said he was interviewed for hours for this thing. He couldn't have been in there for more than 60 seconds. No, he wasn't. And it wasn't really about anything like, I don't know, that you would expect Dave to, like you would want a Dave Meltzer to talk about. I, I If I recall, it was just something about his career that wasn't all that. It was just about the, the, the opponents say. for right after Mania uh, yeah. being limited to, that was a weird part because Dave's talking about them not having opponents ready for Warrior, which they right. didn't. It was Mr. Perfect and Rick Rude. And then they're cutting to the other guys talking about Jake and The Undertaker, which weren't till 91, Man, which I've watched. Yeah. Including Vince Russo. Somebody in the Hansi's bringing it up in the chat room. Vince Russo was in this, and I have no idea why. I would imagine... I would think for sure that Russo was interviewed for probably the Foley one coming up next week. And they just love this guy's delivery. And it made it into this because dude, Russo never worked with the guy. And he's talking about the pressures he felt in the locker rooms. Like you were never in a locker room with this guy. He was on the magazine when warrior came back in 96, but he wasn't in a creative role in 96 and then never like they never worked together. So Russo was a puzzling one to me too. And I can only imagine that they, they found this guy charming when they interviewed him and asked him some warrior questions because I'm sure, and rightfully so that he'll be in the Mick Foley one next week. Sure. But you like, know, that one makes sense. Well, also just going back to like what you're saying about like, you know, not him, them not talking about wrestlers he worked with. Who is around that would be available? I mean, anyone off of the, I mean, yes, there's definitely been a lot of people that have passed away, but you can look at, you know, look, a Ric Flair for one, like not here, like think Bret Hart, like guys that were at least in the locker room with him during his rise and during his peak, mm -hmm. like, yes, a lot of them have died, but not all of them. Uh, uh, maybe it's, it just, you know, further illustrates how like maybe the most controversial or, or interesting aspects of this man's life were not necessarily in ring. And maybe more so either with him in management or maybe him outside of the ring. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the dark side of the ring, like, I like it's, it's not going to be going into all of this stuff. Like, a lot of it is heavily centered around kind of his, you know, as a chiropractor that gets into wrestling. And a lot of it is with involving his first wife, Sherry Tyree. That is the main interview subject. So... I wouldn't look at it like it's going to be the same as 
subject matter as this. Like, I'm sure there's going to be some overlap, but I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, the response to this one. Oh, no, I don't even know if they would have been aware of like what the other would have what was doing. I'm, I'm, I am curious to see like what maybe specific subjects Dark Side of the Ring focuses on. They did already drop like a brief clip. It was of uh, Warrior's ex-wife, first wife, talking about discovering his infidelity while he was on the road. And, uh, you know, a really heartbreaking story. So um, it's you, we're going to get a really full look at this man's life by the end of this week. Yes, yeah, so that is uh, coming up. And yeah, I'm probably going to do a show on this uh, next week uh, with a guest. So we will probably be chatting more about the Ultimate Warrior. There's there's a lot more that we could uh, go into here, but we should uh, move on over to uh, to Raw. How about that line from Hulk Hogan? Uh, wh- which was what? Him and Warrior having oh, the reconciliation oh, at WrestleMania. That tape, tape should have never happened, bro. I was like, wow, what a line. What a line from Hulk Hogan. The other regrettable yeah. tape he was part of. Um, hey, yeah, is, this a, you, is this a, is this the latest we've ever started a raw review? It might be. How podcast? far are we in? Oh my god, we're like an hour, hour in. It's no okay. That, that stuff was most important or most interesting anyway. Um, I am going to make an announcement off the top. I thought Raw was a good show tonight. I did too. Whoa! Surprise! Surprise! Holy I, shit! Wow! I I didn't this know if have... you would have this attitude. I might. I thought maybe you're you're too far John, removed. This show had good wrestling, okay, and it moved story wise. Nothing mind blowing. We're heading into like you know another B show that it really is nothing. I think groundbreaking at all. But at the very least, I thought all the booking was pretty logical on the show. I also really like the added elements, uh, like the pre-produced elements on the show. They had several, um, obviously, like uh, backstage promos promoting the live live attendance um, from various people that we don't usually see. And they had like video packages for several matches to make them feel bigger than usual. So, And how I, few backstage interviews were there? Like when Sarah Schreiber interviewed Jackson Baszler, that was like the first, like they did barely any backstage segments tonight. They did a heavy in-ring show heavy video package show. And I was not complaining. Like I found this raw to be like, I, I fully admit I am grading on a curve when it comes to raw, but I thought that tonight was leaps and bounds ahead of you got some very good wrestling matches tonight for the first time in what feels like months, if not maybe even years, it feels like this company is thinking about ways to improve itself. I, I suppose the last time I might have felt this way was like when they were doing shit, trying shit like the raw underground. It was like the, that, believe it or not, I think was their way of trying to improve the show. Um, but this tonight, like they were trying things that I thought actually worked. And much of it was simply relying on the in-ring ability of these wrestlers to tell their in-ring stories. Uh, so they started off with MVP and Lashley coming out. Lashley with Lashley's ladies. And they recapped the loss to Kofi Kingston they mentioned leaving the Thunderdome, and as Wayne mentioned, they had promos throughout the show of different talent, all, like, these were essentially what used to be, like, your market-specific promos, but instead these were, like, uh, yeah, they were they were very bad, but I will say the idea and the way they're promoting going back on the road, I think they've done a very good job. Like, there's no way you are not aware of when this company is going on the road, where they're going, and the fact that they're leaving the Thunderdome. Like, they have hit you over the head with it they did a great job on smackdown 
starting from segment one with Sonia Deville announcing it to the public, and they carried on here with MVP announcing it the first thing that you saw, and then throughout every commercial break, getting you know in- talent to cut. Uh, unfortunately, if you're trying to compare these to like the 80s or 90s, there is no comparison. <laughs> Number one, their logos aren't in the background. They should bring that back. Oh, they Everybody should have done a that. custom logo. Uh, but these promos, unfortunately, are just at a far, far level below what we used to see, and they're all scripted. However, it is a good chance to see what you know talent that you don't usually see what their level is at at you know just cutting a straight talking to the camera, what their engagement is like. I hope they are able to bring it back in some form. Way by the end of these promos, I was I was just I just can't wait till you and I can get into our car and jam out to our songs. God, that was that was probably the worst one. I am your conductor of destruction. <laughs> I thought that one was pretty rough. That. that was oh, the, the conductor one, yeah. of your destruction or the conductor of destruction. I wasn't sure if that anyway. was a music, musical conductor or the train conductor. Okay. So everyone came out here. Drew was out. The New Day was out. They're all arguing about who is going to be next for Bobby Lashley when Adam Pierce comes out to make a match between Drew and Kofi, the winner to face Lashley at Hell in a Cell. So Lashley and MVP stick around, and we got a long opening match between Kofi Kingston and Drew McIntyre. Kofi stating his reasoning, I never got my rematch. So He's only waited, like, what, a year and a half? What I loved about it is that he he lost that title, and wasn't that around the period when they actually did a segment with Baron Corbin stating there would be no more automatic rematches? I don't, was that before or after he was crushing the pancakes and everybody thought that was like subtle storytelling of him getting his revenge <laughs> eventually? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it's, a, it's been a long build to, to this moment. He's finally ready to cash in, go for that rematch. Um, so they went through two commercial breaks here. Uh, Drew is powering up with uh, Spinebuster, sit-out powerbomb. Kingston keeps kicking out, but then the dreaded shoulder into the post weakens Drew Kofi hits a splash onto the back and then a trust fall to the floor that sends Drew crashing into MVP and Lashley, who have come by ringside. SOS to Drew for a two count and then MVP and Lashley run in and the match is thrown out after 21 minutes and 53 seconds. This definitely passed the time threshold of where I can accept a bullshit finish. Like to me, once you pass 14 minutes, you better give me a finish. Um, That said, I, I thought... 14, not yeah. like on the dot, not 15? No, 15, 15 get out of here. Get out of here. 21-53, uh, we went. And then Kingston and Drew hit the Trouble in Paradise and Claymore onto Bobby Lashley. But I thought a fine match. Not the best match on this show, though. No, it wasn't. No. But uh, to me, like, I thought this outcome was pretty much expected. I, I In some ways, I was actually happy about it because it felt to me like the, at least they're keeping Kofi within this storyline. It seems to me like they're building towards a three-way, but they do have a lot of weeks to go before Hell in a Cell, so, you know, perhaps it could be just Drew winning uh, before we get there. Charlotte is on her phone, and Rhea wishes her good luck tonight against Asuka. Why Charlotte and Asuka are having another match this week, I don't know. She calls Rhea jealous, and you're trying to get in my head. You just want to be like me. I will face you at Hell in a Cell. No logic behind this. And then Nikki Cross appears, saying, I can beat both of you. Flair tells Nikki, you're not worth my time. Ripley says, that's why people don't like you. Because you talk down to others. And she accepts the match with Nikki Cross. So, again, I don't know what role 
Rhea Ripley is playing. I think Seems she's a to... baby face now. This but week. then she was a heel in the match. She was a heel in that she was simply just like um like the heavy favorite. She's the champion going up against she's the She's taking underdog, her lightly. So... She's like mocking right. her after standing end... up for her as a worthy <laughs> challenger. End... But I think by the end of the match, you saw like Rhea give sort of like a, oh, you got me. So I think she reverted back to being a baby face. So okay. I think she's. You, you just keep track and tell me which, which she is segment by segment so I can know. Sure. Eva Marie. She talks about her spot behind the scenes. I'm a heroine like Angelina Jolie, but I don't want to just play a hero. I want to be one. And then, I mean, listen, if there is any, if there is any confusion over her role, this line should settle it. A star's purpose is to show others the way. <laughs> I would totally agree with you. Okay, you've watched this. She's absolutely sort of like your stereotypical, like, oh, I want to be a, a role model type of heel. But then the other vignette they, that they aired, and we can talk about it now, John, like the one they aired later on in the show, was just entirely, to me, a babyface vignette. Because that one was all about her, like, facing Discipline the and determination will overcome weakness. I've become my own cheerleader to become an advocate for others. I don't know. I, I still took that one to be more of, like, I, I agree. She's not doing, like, remember when Kurt Angle did those first vignettes and... Like, he was so smarmy, which was funny because it seems like they, like, there definitely is not that that real deliberate tone from her that I just think she's playing the character very well. So I could be completely wrong. And they think this is the, our next John Cena that, is, that we are building up here. I could be completely wrong. But this is such a heel character. I completely agree. Oh, she's such a, she's such a natural heel. She just is. She just has that natural and her backstory and everything. Like the fact that she didn't come through the Indies, like whenever these crowds return, they will boo the shit out of her. So I think ultimately her destination is a heel, but whether or not they see Vince McMahon sees that off the top, I, I still find it incredibly fascinating to wonder whether or not. These, these are very good spots. I think she's doing very well here. The question will be like, once she's got to wrestle, uh, what's, that that's ultimately going to be the big deciding factor, but I think she's very good in these spots. Well, do you think she returns before or after live crowds? Because that'll be the ultimate de- determinant. Whether oh, which that, MP3? That's a long time. That's that's two months to wait for uh, doing the, these vignettes. Like they're, I like them; they're nice, but it's. I also don't want two months worth of them. So we'll probably find out by hearing which MP3 gets played. That's true. That is also true. So Rhea Ripley and Nikki Cross. This is announced as a two-minute. Beat the clock challenge. And we learn that Rhea Ripley has no attention span because she forgot about this. Ripley is taking her time. She's not too concerned. Cross fires up and Ripley starts to get annoyed. Uh, We got the Nikki high cross for a two count and then a bulldog is blocked. Ripley lands a drop kick and starts beating her down in the corner. And she is so enamored with her striking game that the clock is ticking down and hits zero. She then looks up at the clock Oh, shoot. This was a two-minute beat-the-clock challenge. She forgot, within the span of 120 seconds, what this match was. Well, she's a millennial. She's younger than a millennial, isn't she? Isn't she like, what's the generation after millennials? I don't know, but she came off like a fool here. I I feel very sorry for this character because she has been put in some god-awful scenarios. I don't know how to react to this woman. 
this was hardly <laughs> hardly a finish that that made her like have any kind of positive response i will say you know you know i usually really like anytime they've done the beat the clock challenge like it automatically gives you something to focus on they usually do a pretty good job of like making sense of the booking for for a point um I thought that like we would follow this with Charlotte doing the, a beat the clock challenge uh, off of Nikki Cross as well, and like I guess beating Nikki Cross and then therefore being able to brag to Rhea Ripley that hey, I did what you couldn't. I thought that was the whole point. Um, but instead, what I think they are doing is building this up, basically dragging this out. So you're probably going to get the Rhea Ripley versus Nikki Cross match next week or in the weeks ahead, and I would assume Rhea wins that one clean or in dominant fashion. Um, so is it worth having Rhea Ripley maybe, look maybe, like Maybe this? they'll have someone on the loudspeaker do a countdown from 15 seconds to give Rhea Ripley notice. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Or she could wear a watch. Like, she could bring her uh, phone and just, like, set the timer. She could, bring out she could look clock. at the screen, which had the goddamn countdown clock on it. Oh, yes. Ultimately, I don't really... <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think it hurts Rhea Ripley at all. But the thing is, like, it's, it's, this is just kind of one in a series of, like, I would say missteps at this point. The fact that she is the champion right now, and we can't even tell whether or not she is a clear babyface or heel, I think is a big problem. Um, and I, I think it's also, like, made me far less interested in her than I probably should be by this point. Like, who, what is the main feud right now? I'm, I'm more interested in Asuka versus Charlotte than, like, Rhea Ripley. Well, we'll get into the booking because it comes out of this match. So, uh, first of all, we had Drew and Kofi arguing. Pierce announces next week there will be a rematch. And, well, they would later set this up that if Lashley or MVP get involved in any way, they're suspended for 90 days without pay. So how is this match going to end in a DQ? Um, Maybe. um, Maybe what's going to happen is... Lashley's going to fax something to Vince McMahon and make all these demands of what he wants for Hell in a Cell. And then, I want to be paid the exact same as Roman Reigns. I want this amount of the merchandise. And then that can be our, 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 our longer-term feud. And then make him a shoot of an apology video, perhaps. Yeah, it it should be Vince McMahon recording the apology for breaking up the Hurt business. That should be the video. Definitely. Charlotte Flair and Asuka. Um, This was our second match that went 21 minutes tonight. Um, Flair worked over the left knee and continually went back to this. I thought this was like really good, like just simple, basic, but really effective work on the knee. Flair is constantly chopping at it, goes for a moonsault, but Asuka gets out of the way, and she comes back with a German, but is selling the knee. The knee gets wrapped around the post. Each each fires themselves into the desk. We go through two commercial breaks. Asuka lands a head kick, stunning Flair. Flair recovers, another moonsault, landing on her feet, falls with a standing moonsault, only gets a two count. She's frustrated, goes to the figure four. Asuka counters with the Asuka lock, but Flair flips over, getting the cover in 21 minutes and 24 seconds. I thought this was a better match than last week. I Like, last week had its... Um, it was a very good match, but it also had its weaknesses. I thought this was a very strong match from these two. I really enjoyed this. 
I agree with you. I thought it was an improvement over last week, um, and but overall, like, just I, I also good. started at a low point. Like, this was like, listen, they have very good matches. I didn't know why this was happening again, and it just felt like a retread. But they they totally hooked me in this. No, they they gave you very little reason for why this match was occurring again. But I wasn't really complaining because I knew the quality was going to be really strong, and I thought they they over-delivered in some ways because uh, it was better than last week. Really high pace, a great combination of like technical wrestling, body part work, striking, some aerial offense. Um, I think their chemistry just seems to be getting better and better. And, you know, I'm actually not tired of this at all. Like, they're not going to do this again because they're moving on with, with Rhea Ripley, but like... Oh, don't the- don't make any any assumptions, Wade. <laughs> we could be getting this next week. I kid about like them put having these unofficial best of 12s or best of 13s on Raw, and um, probably not that much, but, like, I could definitely do, like, a best of five, best of seven with these two. Um, and to me, like, this was a was a big surprise because I'd really become disenfranchised with Raw's in-ring product with the shitty booking. I, I no longer look at Raw as any sort of, like, place to look for good wrestling. Uh, but this changed my mind. I thought this was a, a really good match, and I really like some of the subtleties here with... Um, well, not so subtle, but like she did the Andrade double moonsault spot. And then yes. the finish, the finish was uh, a mirror of last week with Asuka countering the figure eight last week with a small package. This week it was Charlotte countering Asuka's submission for the victory. Yeah, I don't ask me to explain why Asuka won last week. I have no idea. It's uh, just they so they could get here, like get to this, right? So what they've each won a match. Why does Charlotte get the title match? That's a great question. So they announced Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair for the women's title at Hell in a Cell. Um, I'm not clamoring for a three-way, but this like that made no sense last week when you were doing this, and that's the match you're going to. So yeah. I'm not going to ask too many questions because, you know what, we'll take what we can get. We got a great match. So If the matches are good, you can forget a lot of the booking. Yeah. I hope there isn't a time limit on that Hell in a Cell match because Ripley's screwed. Mm. Like if uh, they go on last and they have a hard out at the top of the hour, that could be a problem. That would be troublesome, yeah. Yes, the champion that can't tell time. That's a winner. Yeah. Yeah. When did you... It's... Yeah, I, I imagine, like... Yeah. What if she shows up late? She can't, They just go all all in here on... Like, she's still on Australian time? That's it, yeah. They, t- they tell time differently there. The clock shows shows up backwards. late for the match. She lost by forfeit because she didn't show up. Wow, that sounds like quite the character for the champion. I'm sorry, but you were real late. <laughs> so Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. This this was interesting. This feud warranted a video package. I was amazed. That's I a mean, status symbol. Definitely, of course. They invested an editor's day into this. Uh, and I thought it made the match seem more important. They also gave a microphone to Cedric Alexander, and I definitely want your analysis way. Cedric comes out and says that they were part of the best thing in WWE for the past year. Look at me, Shelton! Look at me! We were obscure nobodies when MVP took us in. But then we were kicked out because you're washed up. Look at me, Shelton! Look at me! I carried the team and was the collateral damage. Look at me! You, I have years to make up for past mistakes because I'm young and fresh and in my prime. Are you? How many years do you have left? 
Shelton, look at me. You got a fluke win, and you'll be gone for good. I said, look at me. This promo was like 10 minutes long. Graves says that Cedric Alexander is a spectacular athlete, but he has the charisma of a cinder block. And I hope that Shelton snatches his tongue out of his mouth. And I am now rooting for Shelton. Adnan then after the break gets in a dig about his oratory skills. So I can read this as this was what they were getting in the earpiece after this dreadful promo. Or was that the heat that Cedric Alexander is so infuriatingly bad on his promos that we are supposed to hate him. And thus they called so much attention to it. Tell it's me. Hard, it's hard for me to imagine that they would have. Um, Look at me, way. Look at me. Like not just the heel commentator and the babyface commentator making fun of the guy. So I don't really know what you're really supposed to feel other than the fact that, hey, laugh at, let's laugh at this idiot collectively because he sounds ridiculous. And it's unfortunate because, man. This is a big opportunity. Like guys at this level don't. Number one, like they got. I, I joke, but like the video package, it's like. It means they 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 went to enough to produce a video package for them. But more importantly, Cedric getting like seriously like two to three minutes of live mic time like that's not everybody gets that at his level. Very few do. No, yeah, very few do. So this was a big chance for him. Unfortunately, the man has that high cracking voice that makes him incredibly tough to take seriously as especially as a heel and. um I don't feel like the announcers needed to call call it out. I certainly don't feel like, um, you know, um, or when I say the announcers, I also mean like whoever's telling the announcers to, to say this stuff. But right. I certainly don't think that helped at all. Um, but, but you're, you're I also, right. Like you have graves like destroying this guy. Like it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it doesn't I also. Up. I also felt like this. It went too long, um, and I also felt like the setting was incredibly awkward because the whole time. Like Cedric is cutting this promo. The refs got to hold back Shelton for like three straight minutes, dude. To like it was, stop from attacking. It was too long. This Shelton ref, looked like a fool. This ref was like giving, like was really polite. I would say in wanting to allow Cedric Alexander to finish before this match started, because yeah, it was like three minutes of this guy talking on the apron as he's as Shelton's just like ready to go, amped up, and this ref is just holding him back. So I didn't think it came across very well, unfortunately. Then they had the match, and Alexander is sent into the barricade. Shelton skins the cat. This guy's going to be 46 in July. Wow, amazing. Crazy. He'll probably, he'll probably be doing this in 56. Uh, Cedric did a Hurricane Rana off the top, and then he goes to the mount, and he goes to choke Shelton and immediately stops like he knew. And Graves even points out that's a banned move here in WWE as he just went to put his hands right around the guy's throat. Alexander's kicking away as Benjamin gets upset, blasts him with a clothesline, hits the rolling Germans, but then as he goes for an O'Connor roll, is poked in the eye, and Alexander hits the Neuralizer in 11.54. Graves proclaims that that was arguably the biggest singles win of his career, and they are now calling him Prime Alexander. Okay, cool. Prime Alexander seems like a cool name, yeah. Um... You know, I thought the match was actually just okay. I couldn't really get too invested into it. I thought it was, like, good, but there's nothing that flashy about it to me that... And I think maybe more so, I'm 
I have no reason to believe that this is any sort of conclusive end to this story and that this match isn't just one in a series of several matches that they're going to continue to have. Um, I I don't even know how much I care at this point. So them trying to push like Prime Alexander, it's cool, it's something, but like, mm, you know, it's it. This feels like um, I don't know how well they did in making this feel like an important win, you know. Well, it was the biggest win of his career, way biggest. I would say the Cruiserweight Classic. Well, he didn't win that, but like that field, feels. Uh, maybe he'll tell you WrestleMania was his biggest moment. The Ali match. Well, it was a. Uh, this was a. Uh, a much more significant match that followed it. Riddle versus Xavier Woods. Right away, they get into this deep collar and elbow tie-up. They crash into Francesca in the corner, knocking the trombone to the ground. I was praying this trombone broke after last week. Riddle applies his guillotine and then hits a gut wrench suplex off of his back. Woods has uh, a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, and Riddle gets hoisted from his back up into a vertical suplex. This thing looked amazing. Really impressive. Yeah, they really had the audience by this point. I say audience, I mean myself watching this. Xavier Woods hits a DVD onto the apron. A missile drop kick sends Riddle down. They do tombstone counters. Woods gets play or Woods places Riddle into the Tree of Woe, and then we get a gut check by Woods. Riddle lands a knee strike to the head and then hits the Kota Bushi power German. And they showed the replay. This landing onto his head was awful. I would not be surprised if they tell Riddle, you are never doing this again. It was a really ugly landing. Um, and then there's a Woods got up like Woods seemed fine, though. Uh, there was a tilt whirl Woods lands on his feet and then Riddle with the RKO truly out of nowhere. Wins this in 1249. This match was awesome. It was excellent. This, like, this was is one of the best Xavier Woods matches I've ever seen. Definitely. definitely. Like he's had some great tag matches with, with New Day over the years, with the Usos. It's a singles match. I don't know if I've seen better. These two were excellent together. I was very, very impressed with this. I was not expecting it on this show, not even when I saw it on paper. You know, I think Woods has shown to be a very dependable guy, but... um. I you don't think of him as somebody with any sort of spectacular like physical trait because he, maybe because charis, he's so charismatic you know you think oh okay everybody's got a thing his thing is charisma you don't think about his strength and athleticism and I think seeing this match I feel like both of those things both of those things are probably quite underrated because you know he happens to be in a stable with two guys who are actually the best among the best in the company at those two things strength and athleticism but uh, Woods showed here that he has plenty of both. Like, man, just like being able to uh, coordinate with Riddle to do a lot of those spots. Like he was kipping up here. Uh, I thought he was great. Riddle, excellent as usual. And uh, the finish too, I enjoyed. You know, the RKO out of nowhere from a guy uh, like Matt Riddle showing that he really has been drinking his partner's Kool-Aid. So when that turn happens, it's going to be that much sweeter. Yeah, the great, great match from these two. So, um, yeah, if you miss this, this was this was definitely a match worth checking out. We then move on uh, and come back down to earth. AJ Styles versus Jackson Riker. Way their first singles match since AJ Styles versus Gunner in July of 2012 at a TNA house show. Ooh, reviving this this 
legendary what was, series. What was Gunner Stable? Was he in a stable? He was uh he was in was he Aces and Eights, wasn't he? Or was he was, was he it? immortal? Was he immortal? Fuck you might I'll look it up. You do that. Um <laughs> Yeah. I can I can Yeah, he was their security guard. He was a mortal security guard. <laughs> he was a... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was oh. a little... He's he went from being a mortal security guard to uh Eliasis. That's right. Well he's he's had a lateral move. Um from there this match continued. It went all of two minutes and four seconds. The idea was Omos and Elias were not allowed to get involved, but Elias did. He struck AJ with a symphony, and from there, Riker got the win with a side slam in 204. I have no, I have nothing to contribute to this program. This to me is just, it's like just white noise when I'm watching this program. It just seems like this is a feud that's happening in the abyss. I have no attachment to it. I think he was an immortal too. Oh, he was. Yes. <laughs> um, so there are several problems, I think. You know, the first of which is the fact that this is AJ Styles here. And I understand AJ amongst this crop somehow between Gunner, uh, Omos, and uh, Elias. Somehow AJ is the guy who has to take all the pinfalls because he happens to be the smallest. But this is AJ Styles. He should not be losing this way via like shitty distraction. As much as I love the name Symphony, I don't think you should be booking the guy who led SmackDown for a year to lose in such simple fashion. You're you're really damaging. Like it's like you know taking your Porsche and like driving it on a dirt road. That's just like you know driving it through like, grass or something. You're just like killing the engine. You know. <laughs> I don't know That's exactly what about, I thought. Yeah, I don't know anything about cars. I don't even know. Can, can we talk about by it. far the best part of this segment and one of the best things on the show? Sure. Elias is hiding behind the timekeeper's area. Yeah. And we've got this low angle shot going straight up and Omos just approaches and looks down on Elias. The blocking of this was outstanding. It looks so cool. You didn't uh, like this. I think they get way too comical and way too cartoonish. Oh, I love this. I thought it was awesome. They're they're Andre. They look cool. Like he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be this over the top giant. Yeah, sure. If you can enjoy it on that level, you're right. Yeah, it is. It's fine. But it's just so. It's such a Roadrunner cartoon type of thing. Sometimes. Um, Sure, it was great. It was awesome. I liked it. I liked it a lot. But Um, you know, the other thing is. These two are suddenly like baby faces with no explanation whatsoever. We just came from their feud against um, the New Day where they were total heels and off they go to vacation. I guess, um, what did they say? They went off to vacation somewhere. They come back as full-blown baby faces against Elias and Jackson Riker. Come on. Like you need some more explanation than that. The Caribbean. The Caribbean, right. Well, I mean, some sunshine will mellow anybody out, I guess. Sheamus and the returning Umberto Carrillo non-title match. Sheamus is dominating this. When Carrillo comes back, he hits a suicide dive to the floor, flying reverse elbow, and then a wheelbarrow gets blocked by Sheamus as he holds down Carrillo, hooking the tights for the win in 344. Um, They're doing a masterful job building up these challengers as Sheamus runs through Mansoor, who is uh, already disappeared. 
Um, Seamus continues to attack him, applies the Cloverleaf when Ricochet appears with a missile dropkick. Carrillo and Ricochet double-team Seamus, ending with this beautiful top-rope moonsault from Carrillo and a springboard 450 by Ricochet. So some very spectacular offense. So um, that's how this ended. And Seamus will likely beat both of these men at some future date. I really like the post-match here. The moment Ricochet came in, it was just... Like boom, boom, boom! Like a ping, like a constant ping pong ball between him and Humberto Carrillo trying to one up one another with these like spectacular diving moves onto this like target, you know, Sheamus. Uh, they looked awesome in that brief like they crammed like five dives onto Sheamus and then spanned like these twenty seconds and that was awesome. Um, you know, the match I I don't really hate because it's it's the story they're telling. Sheamus is this unbeatable wrestler at least against these 205 Live guys. And it's going to require several attempts, maybe some team-ups for them to finally, like, you know, c- conquer this mountain. Um, if they so have a three-way, it'll probably be pretty damn entertaining. I hope it's a three-way, and I hope it's not a handicap match, which would be awful. Um, maybe a three-on-one with Mansoor. I was really waiting for Graves to get in the line at the end when, when Carrillo hit the top rope moonsault with Ricochet setting up. Shades of Io Shirai. Ooh, I you know I I really wasn't following a lot of that drama over the weekend, but um, I mean that was it was really curious. last week's story that like came and went. Yeah, like, this week R- it's, it's, this week it's Kenny and Roman Reigns, right? Um, yeah, it's it's hard to keep up with them. The yeah, the eighteen hour stories. Yeah. Sarah Schreiber interviewed Jackson Baszler with Reginald, and Baszler blames Jax for getting distracted. Reggie is really shaken up and is seeing triple and having nightmares. And Baszler says she's tired of Jax getting distracted by things that don't matter and suggests that Reginald stay in the back and threatens if he shows up. So no Reginald, at least we would think. So the main event is Natalia and Tamina against Jax and Baszler for the women's tag titles. Reginald's watching in the back. Baszler tries a sharpshooter on Natalia at the beginning, and Natalia breaks out of it. They go through the commercial, get the heat on Tamina for a time uh, until she comes back. Jax and Tamina go to the floor, and Tamina is sent over the barricade. Baszler runs with her knee into the corner, missing Natalia, and Reginald appears on the apron to distract Baszler gets a small package. The ref is distracted, thus angering Baszler. And then he is told to leave by Baszler. He walks up the stage. The pyro goes off. By the way, he the wasn't blinded last week. This week, seems like he avoided danger too, because it wasn't too bad, even though it looked like a explosion went off in this man's entire body going up in flames. So th- was, was he blinded this week? No, I guess he was just, he was, was seeing okay. triple... And uh, just had some issues. Okay. That's what Naya said. He was seeing triple. No, I meant, I meant at the end of the show. Oh, by the end of this show. Yeah. Um, I mean, he could see Baszler and answered her challenge. Hmm. Okay. So the pyro goes off. I will say, like, if, a, if there was a gigantic explosion, I think you can accept an inside cradle catching you. This was not a trombone, but the same premise. 11.44, Natalia gets the pin, and then Baszler checks on Reginald, grabs him. I thought we'd go a whole show without the word, but no. You son of a bitch! And challenges Reginald to a match next week. So we're going to get Shayna Baszler 
against Reginald. Yes, we are. Oh, man, they're really like... Um, I feel like Reginald has had more matches against women this year than like s- several members of the women's roster. So, I mean, they really like using Reginald as it's like... Probably has had more singles matches than Ruby Riot or Liv Morgan. Oh, yeah. I, I would have, we'd have to look up his Reginald's cage match, but it'd probably be something like that. Um, I actually thought the match was pretty decent, you know, at this point. Shayna, when she was in there with Natalia, you can always count on uh, those two having great chemistry with one another. This one, like unlike the other matches, this match I felt was a lot less focused on Tamina. Instead, it was mainly highlighting Shayna and Reginald. Putting the spotlight on Shayna to, I would assume, set her up for Alexa, who who they didn't really like play the Lily laugh, but we can assume that the pyro was as a result of her. I might have subconsciously enjoyed this Raw a lot more because there was no trace of Lily. So mm. that might have helped. Sure. Did you hear about the dark match that they did? No. Out to the Thunderdome came... The inter-channel champion, John Pollock, who issued his open challenge to one man. And it was accepted right then and there. Okay. Right now? Right now. Oh, shit. It's on, everybody. Postwrestling.com slash Discord. Let's see who. Let's see. Let's see what the real main event tonight is of. Rewind of Raw here. I want to say, I know a lot of people are talking a lot of smack about me as champion, and I see it all. So believe me. Oh, shit. Post-bot bottle. Champion. John Pollock, take it on. Way 0937. The battle begins, everybody. All right. Um, Oh, you just hit me with a hip toss. Yeah. Just got you with... uh, These things do go on a a little long. Well, come on. It's a main event. Championship match. Are we going to go 21 minutes? We're on Broadway here. John Pollock with a face lock. John Pollock working hard. Way breaks John Pollock's grip. Way tries an enziguri on John Pollock and lands it. Way hits a forearm chop, then climbs to the second turnbuckle and nails a strong elbow. Way tries a forearm and lands it. John reverses a super kick from Way. Uh, John goes for a kick to the gut on Way and lands it. John nails a senton. Way rakes John Pollock's face across the ropes, but it's reversed. John with the wrist lock. John Pollock is squeezing hard. Ma- makes it to the... Uh, Way goes for her fist drop on John. And Come on. Damn, this is going to be a long match. Is this a championship match? Oh, yeah. The championship is being defended. I think Wei. you have to actually type a certain command for a championship, right? Or no? I- I said that this is a championship match. It asked me. Oh, it did. Okay. Oh shit. All right. This is all on the uh, line. We're at we're at we're at a seventy nine move count. You know, for the people who have no idea that what's going on right now, this is probably some riveting stuff. Yeah. Uh, so post what is it? Dis- Postwrestling.com slash Discord. Uh, Lord of the Court Phil Church Talk has has set up this automatic um robot script. I cannot or, explain this. I cannot possibly explain. I could barely explain it. And uh, he's going to laugh at me for even trying right now. But it's like you can enter other people's names and you can have matches with them. And they'll generate like a list. Oh, okay. Wait a second. We interrupt. Oh, You're fine. I, na- I nailed my finisher, the green mist on John. I went for the pin. One, two, 
John kicks out. We're just spamming uh, all our finishes now. We're we're going towards the finishing sequence, I think. I try another green mist on John and I hit it. I go for the pin. And one, two. Kick out. Kick out. Come on. They really three oh, bullshit. We have bullshit. a new intercontinental champion. And his name. You hear that music, everybody? You hear the kid rock blaring in the background? It's the cowboy, baby. I am back. Two-time Intercontinent Channel champion. Oh. One on Rewind Raw. Update update my cage match, everybody. That was a six-star classic, if I will say so myself. I'm, I'm very I'm very disgusted. Oh, well, there we go, everyone. I'll be back. Don't you worry. That's the end. Wow. Wait, what did you think about Raw tonight? <laughs> Great main event right there. Uh, but you know what? Raw was actually a good show. Uh, and again, maybe we are grading it on a curve, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was like a consistently entertaining show, highlighted by, I think, a couple really good matches. I would even include the main event in that, except for the... Yeah, you know what? I wouldn't include the main event. But Charlotte Osco is really good. Xavier Woods and Riddle was really good. Uh, and I thought everything progressed pretty well towards Hell in a Cell. And I thought I thought it was really noticeable, the fact that you had a much heavier wrestling show and very little of the backstage stuff. It's like, I think that that stuff can really add up to be a drain over those three hours. Yeah, definitely. Sorry, I'm just... I'm still glowing over my championship uh, is- win here. Unexpected, you know? You called me out. This was an open challenge. I stepped up and uh, listen, you know, I did not miss the two minute beat the clock. <laughs> I looked back at the clock and I won. So, you know what, everybody? I'm going to announce it right now. I'm holding this thing. I'm not going to defend it until. Oh, man. I was going to say Wednesday, but we're not on Wednesday, are we? No. No, we are not. So, when can I defend it? I would like to do it on. I mean, air. you have to do it every three days, so I, <laughs> I might hold on to this thing till Friday. Everybody's going to be pissed off in the Discord. So you know what? I'm just going to relax. I'm going to the Caribbean. I'm going to enjoy don't, myself. Don't feel guilty about holding the belt hostage, way. You're a draw. You're the champion. You dictate the terms, okay, <sighs> sir? I'll be in my VIP room with Lashley's ladies and just uh, waiting for Adam Pierce to tell me when to defend. That's all. Let's go to some feedback before we get out of here. This has been a marathon edition of Rewind to Raw. Tonight's show, let's see if the forum agreed with us. A 4.23 out of 10. Oh. I'm not going that low tonight. I, I thought tonight, solid 6.5 show. All right, let's see their justification. All right, our first letter comes from Muggin. The New Day getting weaved into the main event scene presented a chance to showcase what both Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods can do on their own. Kofi and Drew was a strong opener that ended in chicanery. Riddle versus Woods was easily the match of the night. Woods' singles potential is at best kept secret, is a best kept secret, and both men came out of it looking strong. He definitely, like, made people probably talk a lot more about a singles run for him. So he did great. Peter Forsberg says, I tried to watch tonight, but fast-forwarded through almost everything and watched the NHL playoffs instead. Okay. How many times have they done Charlotte Nasca? I know you guys are diehard fans. Would you watch all three hours every week if you didn't do it for a career? No, I wouldn't. No. Uh, I would watch Alex, some of it. I would listen to a podcast like this and, and cherry pick, but not all three hours. 
Okay. Alexander writes, uh, Nia and Baszler have faced Tamina and Natalia so many times, it's hard to care about the potential for another. Charlotte and Asuka feels like they're secretly in a best of five series with each other. Drew and Kofi tonight was fresh, but will it be next week? Did the symphony lose its name? Did Nikki Gr- They haven't called it that now two weeks in a row. Nikki Cross, did she gain anything by not being beaten in two minutes? Is Eva Marie going to be a babyface? I can't wait to tune in next week and most likely find out. Five out of ten. Not find out. He said not find out. Oh. Um, He's got a question here. With WWE going back to a touring schedule, could you see NXT call-ups freshen up the main rosters? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that you could see some some call-ups. Um. You know, Fightful just had a report today that they're, you know, that that's the very thing like they're talking about now. So I would not be surprised by some call-ups like we saw with Rick Boogs. And, you know, it's it's probably that time that they are, are going to look at, you know, potential names that have been in the system for a long time. Who's who's ready to move up? We got a Kate who says the problems with Raw are rarely with the in-ring content. And that was especially true tonight. Riddle versus Woods in particular stood out. As many times as he's been a tag team champion, I think Woods is still underrated as a performer. Definitely my match of the night. Unfortunately, good ring work gets undermined because of what's around it. Asuka beat Charlotte last week. Charlotte beats Asuka this week. For some reason, Charlotte gets a title shot and Asuka doesn't. Charlotte and Shelton have gone 50-50 over the last two shows, which means that neither of their two good matches has gained them anything. The women's tag match is something that we've seen for about 100 times, and as much as though... I like seeing Shayna act like more of a killer. I'm afraid that she's going to get sucked into the Alexis Playground quicksand. I was late tuning in, so I missed Drew and Kofi, but apparently that's okay because they've already announced that they're doing a rematch next week. Booking that accomplishes nothing, randomly assigned title shots, inconsistent characters, and dragging out ill-conceived stories are the things that make Raw so trying, and on nights like tonight, when the in-ring is particularly strong, it actually makes those problems more apparent. All right, I'm going to do one more here. Ben from Vancouver. Riddle versus Woods was a lot of fun. Everything else was tired rematches. I'm not sure what the purpose of those were returning to the road promos were because I think they had the opposite effect. Mandy and Dana's acting delivery made, made porn stars look like Meryl Streep. What's the plan for Ricochet? Why not uh, reteam him with Cedric Alexander? They had a ton of potential as a tag team before all the retribution mess. Uh, with Ricochet, it's obviously just to continue this Sheamus stuff. And with Cedric, I think they're going to break off this feud, and it seems like they will more so focus on Cedric Alexander. But I think that certainly has a limitation to it of what you can expect with Cedric Alexander on his own. Uh, yes. So it seems like the audience not not really sharing our optimism this week. I never said I'm optimistic. I'm saying tonight's show I thought was a – generally much much better show than what we have been exposed to on raw most monday nights okay sure all right well on that note way thank you as always congratulations on your big victory you know what um i feel like celebrate um you know i just i I, i'm going to uh upload a podcast and uh watch the dissident that's my celebration the Dissident, everybody, or review this Friday. The post-movie review returns. The Dissident, for people who aren't aware, is um, a documentary about the uh, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. This is a topic that John and I have discussed a, a lot in covering the Saudi Arabia shows. Uh, this recently came out, and I've been meaning to catch it for a long, long time. So 
not much of a celebration, I have to say, but um, nonetheless, it is a, a piece of work I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to director Brian uh, Vogel this week. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Thank you to everybody for checking out the show, whether live or downloading it. Leave us that wonderful five-star review. And that's it for us. I am John Pollock on behalf of your new champion, Waiting.